0: I know. This is Crosswalk Colorado Springs on 100.7 The Word. Here's your host, Bob Bender.
1: Good afternoon, Colorado Springs. Hope you're having a great day. I am, even though it is Friday the 13th. We'll just uh, not address that at all and just praise the Lord. Anyway, thank you for joining me. This is going to be a very, very exciting program with a guest who has impacted my life, and I know he will yours through his words. Well, every time we gather together, I have a word for you from God's Word here on 100.7, The Word. Uh, this morning, praying through Psalm 78, And the last several verses, listen carefully, are the best, the greatest verses on leadership in the whole Bible. Listen, God chose David, his servant, took him from the sheepfolds, from the care of the lambs, brought him to shepherd his people Israel, so he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with his skillful hands. Leadership involves calling God to. Chose David, he called David from the sheepfolds, and he's calling you to lead. Calling is a big aspect of leadership. Secondly, capacity is an aspect of leadership. He took David from the care of the ewes and suckling lambs and brought him to shepherd his people. You see, David had capacity. We need to grow in our capacity. If we're faithful in the little, God gives us great. And if we dive down and focus on our devotion to God, he will expand our boundaries. How Do you have capacity as a leader? And thirdly, he had chemistry. He shepherded his People and Israel, his inheritance. Chemistry is such a big part of leadership. You got to get along with people. How's that in your life? And then, so verse seventy-two of Psalm seventy-eight, he shepherded them. So God called him, and he had the capacity, and he and he got, had good chemistry with the people. The Bible says he went in and out with the people, and then he shepherded them. He had confidence. Leaders have confidence, not in themselves. But in the Lord, if you want people to influence people, you got to have confidence. And then He shepherded them according to the integrity of heart of His heart, friends. That's character. Character counts. He shepherded them according to the integrity of of his heart, and then guided them with his skillful hands. That's competency. He was competent. He had the skills to lead. So how are you? Is God calling you? Are you in that spot? Are you growing in your capacity? Do you have chemistry with people? Do you have the confidence that God has given you to fulfill that calling and lead with your character? And see the competency that God will give you with skillful hands as you lead with integrity of heart. Lord, thank you. You've called us all to be leaders. And so, Lord, just use us for your glory in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Today, I have as our guest, Dr. Paul Brownback, and he is an author, and he has great insight into our our culture into the state of the church today, and our responsibility and responses as individual followers of Christ. Paul, thank you for joining me on my show today. Welcome.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this.
1: Well, I have as well, and I've read one of your books that impacted my life. And before we get into that, Tell us a little bit about yourself, background, a little brief background, and, and what the books you have written.
2: Well, originally from uh, Pennsylvania, uh, southeast Pennsylvania, and uh, then I I went to uh, West Point Military Academy. was in the military for about four years. Uh, was in Germany and then in Vietnam. And after that, I uh, was asked to come to uh, Start Word of Life Bible Institute up in Scroon Lake, New York, and we were with that ministry for four years. And after that, I went out to uh, Citadel Bible College. I was president of that school for thirteen years. Which and school, I which school was that?
1: Which school was that, Paul?
2: It's Citadel Bible College. Okay, it was in uh, Arkansas.
1: Wow, didn't know that.
2: And then I uh, was uh, I, I pastored in Tulsa, Oklahoma, for about five years. That's and, right. Uh, we have,
1: in fact, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, we have a mutual friend, or had, Doug Heck, because you you pastored uh, Tulsa Bible, right?
2: That's
1: right. Yeah, yeah, wow, small world.
2: Yeah, and then uh, after that, I went back to Pennsylvania and did counseling for a number of years and ended up my uh, ministry there as a hospice chaplain.
1: Wow. Man, you've done it all, Paul. You have done it all. You're like a utility infielder, man. Just point you in a direction, and you you get it done. Well, 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 that's a wonderful uh, impact you have made in various aspects of the kingdom. What about your books, Paul? What have you written? Well, uh,
2: when I went to, uh, back in the 1970s, the self-esteem movement was uh, a big thing among evangelicals. Didn't sound right to me, so I wrote a book dealing with that. Uh, Moody gave it the title "The Danger of Self Love." I'm not sure that I like that title too much because uh, it actually gives the alternative to to the self esteem movement. Uh, then I wrote I wrote a second edition of that book uh, later on. Uh, I also wrote a a book entitled "Counterattack" that deals with the culture. And I did an up, update of that called Licensing Selfishness. Mm. And then I wrote a book on how, entitled How to Succeed as CEO of Your Life. And uh, basically a, a biblical perspective on, on uh, what we should live for and how, uh, what our objective should be in order for us to be a success. And then finally, I, I recently wrote a book entitled Generation of Hope, and it talks about, uh, uh, my belief that, uh, prior to the rapture, things are going to turn around and get somewhat better. And it gives, uh, that uh, comes out of a, uh, a study
1: of the Olivet Discourse. Wow, wow. You've written a little bit about everything. It was the danger of self-love that got my attention. If I remember, it kind of had a little mirror on the, on the front, didn't it?
2: That's correct. Yeah,
1: yeah, I remember that. That was an excellent book. And we're going to unpack this very subject. And Paul is astute on culture, on the state of the church, on our individual responsibility as Christians in response to where we are. And I'm so excited to hear what Paul has to say insight about where we are in our culture. Things have changed and where the church can engage, confront the culture, and how we can to make an impact. Uh, Paul, the, the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. In fact, it's the only hope of the world.
2: That's for sure.
1: And so we are going to unpack how we can maximize our impact and continue. Jesus said the gates of hell will not withstand the onslaught, the progress of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're going to continue to move forward and allow the Lord to use us to make a kingdom impact that Jesus predicted that We would. Well, Paul, tell me, give me some insight then about where you think we are, where are we as as a culture? What's your insight on where we are as a culture?
2: Well, we are going downhill fast. In fact, my (laughs) wife and I had a conversation just today that uh, uh, not only are we on a slippery slope, but but we are going full speed down that slope. And... uh, we can't sustain this direction uh, very much longer, and we're going downhill in every last uh, measure. Boy, uh, economically, sure. we're going downhill. Morally, we're going downhill. In terms of our our society with the open borders, uh, for, for crime is on the increase oh and so forth. So disaster, so for every direction we look.
1: Indeed, and so the church has a challenge. And so we're going to pick up our conversation and address what can the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ do in today's culture. See you in a moment
0: Crosswalk Colorado Springs on 100.7. Don't worry.
1: Welcome back to Crosswalk this Friday the 13th, and we're talking about how bad the culture is on Friday the 13th, if that's not providential, don't know what is. Well, I've got Paul Brown back with me here, and we're discussing where we are, where we need to be. Uh, Paul, sometimes I think we're like the frog in the kettle when it comes to our culture.
2: Yeah, you know, Francis Schaeffer addressed that problem, and uh, he made a great statement in his uh, last book, The Great Evangelical Disaster. And he he warned against being influenced by the culture, and I'm afraid that his concerns have have come true.
1: And isn't that so true? And I fear we're letting culture interpret the Bible rather than allowing the Bible to interpret culture.
2: Well, I think, and this is my own perspective, but I believe the problem started a long time ago. I believe it started all the way back in the Reformation. Uh, Martin Luther rightfully discerned that salvation was by faith alone and not by works. But uh, one of the problems he ran into is he didn't give us a very good definition of faith, and his perspective on faith detached faith from behavior of any kind. Mm -hmm. So that means when when a person gets saved, uh, the idea, well, you're saved by grace, that means uh, you're on the way to heaven, and you can live any way you want, and it's not going to make any difference. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, uh, you know, when when pastors give invitations so often, they, they say, well, now, yeah, you, we're saved by faith, but this is not just a head commitment. It's got to be a heart commitment. Mm-hmm. And, and they talk about those kind of things, but it, it's never clear the implications of that saving faith. Are, are you committing yourself to Jesus Christ? Are you committing yourself to live for him? And you may recall, back in the day, there was a big uh, uh, conflag between uh, John MacArthur and Dallas Seminary over Lordship Salvation. Right, I read and, the book, yeah. Yeah, and I, I believe that plays into it. And, uh, but, but the problem we're running into, I believe, Bob, is that uh, the commitment to righteousness of the evangelical church has fallen on hard times.
1: And you that know, was and, and that was James's point, wasn't it? I mean, uh, that's yeah. what what James yeah. wrote about. And I I can concur when we're inviting people to follow Jesus, let's invite people to follow Jesus. Let's be sure yeah. we talk about repentance. Yeah,
2: that exactly. And and we we skirt around the issue of righteousness in the day in which we live. Uh, on a number of counts, we of course we we have uh, Matthew seven one, judge not, you be not judged, and uh, but we we kind of take that to be an absolute that that means you should never judge anybody, which we know scripture doesn't teach that. And well,
1: yeah, later we're on the same chapter. He said, "You'll know them by their fruits."
2: Absolutely, uh, yeah. The twentieth verse, the same chapter. Uh, that's right, and we find the apostle Paul judging a lot of people and so forth. So. We know that's not what it means, but we have that that perspective in our society yeah, i I know uh when I was pastoring uh, we had a policy in our church that uh, uh we would marry people in the church who were living together who who, who was, had not yet been married right and uh I had the responsibility of approaching couples you know on that count. And we even said, now, well, look, if you'll split up, live separately until you're married, whatever, we'll work with you. But the response I got was, well, you legalistic so-and-so. And uh, what right do you have to judge us just because we're living together? So, you know, so that's a, that's a, a that And then we have this whole thing of legalism. You know, there was a time back in the day when, uh, by legalism, we were talking about uh, – People who smoked and drank, or whatever, or you know, then, Yeah, that's true. <laughs> or lipstick. True. But but today today we've taken that to mean uh, any rules are legalistic, and therefore, if you if you talk about any kind of sin at all, then you're being legalistic, and so uh, righteousness is being undermined on that count. Yep. And then we have the the. The uh, the meme in, in the church today is that, well, all of my sins, past, present, and future are forgiven. And therefore, how I live doesn't make any difference. And, uh, and yeah, it's true that uh, when we get saved, all of our sins are forgiven. However, we do have First John 1, 9 that says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. Talking to Christians. Yep. And, and obviously that verse is indicating that god does see our sinfulness that god uh, does have a problem with it that we need to confess it and if we don't then based on that verse he he hasn't forgiven us N- mm-hmm. not uh, indicating that we're not saved but uh, indicating that we our fellowship with god is uh, is on hold while while we we're in that unconfessed state
1: yeah i don 't think i don't think a pastor would would say exactly what you said about you know come and, and and follow jesus live like you want to but that's the that's the implication we are receiving because of the lack of yeah. emphasis. On what you're talking about exactly, I'd I make a difference between judging and discerning. Uh, God yeah. wants us to be discerning. We judge to condemn; we discern to convert. You've got to have a discerning spirit. I mean, that's the definition of of uh, spiritual maturity in Hebrews five fourteen. And it's it's sad that that we uh, accused of being legalists when all we're doing just upholding God's standard. There's a difference. In being a legalist and upholding God's standard, and to your point about, uh, I mean, cohabitation among Christians is is off the charts. Uh, my first yeah. church in Austin, the first three of the four couples who came to me wanting me to marry them, were living together, and two of them yeah. were children of church members. So, man, yeah. I, you know that that uh, that caused some problems right off. I said, "Wait a minute, let's 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 get perspective here." <laughs>
2: Not a fun situation for a pastor,
1: is it? But you got to, you know. I I told them. I said, "Look, you've uh, you've asked me to represent God, and I've got to go to sleep at night. So, hey, this is this is where I stand. And and if you want me to marry you, regarding or officiate regarding these, if if you do this, that, and the other, well, will If not, let's let's move on. But that's just one example, probably one of the greatest ones of of the culture in which we live in and how it has negatively impacted the church and infiltrated the church. And let me let me read a quote from Beth Moore here. I'm quoting Beth Moore. You will watch a generation of Christians, of Christians, set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. This will be perhaps the cleverest of all the devil's schemes in your generation, sacrificing truth for love's sake and you will rise or fall based on whether you will sacrifice one for the other. Will you have the courage to live in the tension of both truth and love, end quote? And she predicted this would occur, and indeed it is.
2: Yeah, Bob, let me uh, address that, because I, I think she's touching on a crucial issue, and that issue is <clears throat> an understanding of the character of God. Yes. And in in, pers- in our view of the character of God in today's generation, we say that love is the salient foundational issue of the character of God that trumps everything else. Uh, I believe that that is not the case. I believe for God, holiness and righteousness are the foundational uh, uh Components of mm-hmm. God's character,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and we we see that because when when love and holiness or righteousness come into conflict, we find that ultimately God. Righteousness prevails mm-hmm. and we see that we see that in, in hell. Yes. And, yes. In the whole
1: doctrine of hell. Yeah, somebody said uh, God don't make no junk. Well, he does have an eternal junkyard for those who refuse him. Well, we will yeah. continue to discuss this important, important topic when we return. Stay with us and we'll talk about what we as Christians can do in response to where we are. Letting go of the worries, I can't
0: This is Crosswalk Colorado Springs on 100.7 The Word.
1: Welcome back. I have as my guest Paul Brown back. And, Paul, I don't know if your spiritual gift is, is prophecy. Uh, I define prophecy not only as uh, proclaiming the Word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in a given point in time. But I know prophets, they just they, they have a different take on things. Paul, do you think you have the spiritual gift of prophecy? I, we haven't discussed this. I'm just asking you.
2: Yeah, that's always been my suspicion. And I then I look at Jonah and Elijah, and I realize that I belong to a, a rather a club of rather strange human beings. But uh, yeah, I do kind of think that that's where, where I'm, I uh, am gifted.
1: And and how we need the prophets. Sometimes I view a prophet, Paul, as somebody who's yelling from right field to get the rest of us in left field to meet you in the center.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not of that, yeah.
1: Because we are talking about an important issue here, Paul. I uh, when people ask what what keeps me awake at night. Uh, I, I suppose a lot of things i didn 't sleep much last night, but um it 's the state of the church it 's the it 's the carnality of the church cohabitation among born again believers i uh, how can i just i can i just how can that occur w- without conviction i 'm not judging anybody you know, we're talking about that but uh I mean we have churches paul that not only tolerate alcohol, they promote it. I mean, I, I I wonder what would happen if we parachuted a Christian from the 50s. And I, uh, the 50s, in some ways, was an idyllic decade. I know we had racism. I get it. And, and maybe, maybe uh, some preachers had a little bit too much starch in their underwear. I'm not sure. But the taking somebody from the fifties, Paul, and sh- parachuting them in a, in the a modern church, I think that would be appalled.
2: Well, and uh, you mentioned the, the cohabitation. I mean, pornography is uh, is running rampant. Well, it's the and, sin it's, of
1: choice, uh, man. Yeah. So, so we're in a and, we're in a, a situation here where we have to be discerning. We have to understand that indeed we have been the frog in the kettle. We've allowed the world to influence the church, our attitudes, our actions, and how do we straighten this thing out, Paul?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I I think if we go back to the root of it, and it gets back to that first book that I wrote, uh, you had the self-esteem movement, and the issue wasn't self-esteem per se. That, That was never the root issue. Uh it that grew out of the psychology of Carl Rogers.
1: Rogerian, yes. Rogerian psych. Yep.
2: Yeah. And and his deal was that self-esteem had to be unconditional. In other words, you didn't feel good about yourself uh because you were successful or disciplined or whatever. Uh you just felt good about yourself because you were you. Now, that comes out of the psychology of Eric chrome uh, but uh so so you have this unconditional self acceptance uh, I feel good about me regardless of how i'm living and and uh, uh that uh that got into the whole unconditional love thing that we have among evangelicals. And, and it's, it's rooted in the same thing Mm -hmm. that uh, my behavior doesn't matter. I can feel good about me regardless of how I'm living. And so if that's the case, then, then there's no need for discipline. There's no need for, and and then we have all these other things we've already talked about that undermine righteousness. And, uh, and I, I think they're rooted in the same thing. And, uh, uh, the result of that is that things like discipline have become bad words in in mm-hmm. the evangelical vocabulary.
1: Yes, indeed, and I think perhaps you use this illustration in your book. I mean, uh, with with if, if there's no responsibility, if there's no change of character, well, then the irresponsible husband can feel just as good about himself as the responsible one can.
2: Exactly. And, and uh, we, yeah, we hear this. I'm sorry. Go ahead. If I check out on my wife and kids and run off as uh, the neighbor's wife, yeah, yeah,
1: yep. And I am I'm I'm fine. I think I think the 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 freedom movement kind of impacts and, and intersects here as well. You know, I'm I'm free. Christ has made me free, which obviously He has. But Paul says, "Do not use your freedom for yourself. Use your freedom to serve others." Let's let's redefine freedom yeah, here. I think it was Bill Gothard who said, "Freedom is not the right to do what you want to do. It's the power to do what you ought to do." Let's redefine freedom yeah. here and not go crazy with it.
2: Right. Exactly. Well, that that uh, I believe, and and you mentioned the freedom movement or whatever, but I I believe a lot of this is rooted in. Uh, we had the, uh, the 70s and hippie movement and all that sort of thing. And uh, that spawned uh, uh, that, that whole generation. Uh, and uh, I think they moved into the church with the basic uh, hippie philosophy. If you have a right to you do your own thing, if it feels good, do it. And they, they saw grace as a license to do just that. Well, mm-hmm. we're living under grace. So that means uh, we can feel free to do our own thing, and nobody should judge us, and all of our sins, past, present, and future are forgiven, and so uh, everything's good. Mm-hmm. And uh, the person mm-hmm. who says otherwise is judgmental, and uh, and we uh, we, sh- we don't need to exercise discipline to be the person that God called us to be. Mm-hmm. So that's I'm afraid all of that, that evangelical culture that, Bond out of that uh, uh, has has produced this result, and I do think that the mega church movement has taken that to the next level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's more of that, more of that emphasis in the uh, you don't have to perform to please God. That sort of a thing is found even more there. So uh, that's uh, really
1: uh, it's disconcerting, really, and, and obedience is is the door that unlocks the, God's power. It is our, yeah. our obedience, obviously in the spirit. It's not legalism. Uh, we, we're, our, we're our happiest. We're our, uh, most joyful when we're walking in the spirit, uh, the spirit obedient to God's laws. What's that, uh, that verse in Ezekiel that says, I will send you my spirit, and he will cause you to walk in my ways, uh, 36, yeah. 26, I think. The Holy Spirit causes us to walk in God's ways. And I forget who it was in the 90s. It'll come to me in a moment. Uh, he said the the watchword, the new word uh, the, the church needs to be aware of in the future is the word toleration. And boy, yeah. was he right. Yeah. Boy, yeah. was he right. Grace, yeah. grace. What is grace? Well, you define grace for me, Paul. I've got one. I want to hear from you. Since oh, well, we've dis- I mean, we, since we've dissed it and how it's been a bit abused, how uh, define it for me? How it should be rightfully used in the evangelical church?
2: Well, well, God certainly uh, has saved us not based on our works, <clears throat> but I, I really think and and where we get into trouble here is theology requires. A great deal of accuracy we can't use Kentucky windage when we're doing theology, mm-hmm. and we we have there in what, the first corinthians two where 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 Paul said talks about the simplicity of the gospel mm-hmm. but then he goes on to say, but there is a wisdom and and uh it, along with the simplicity of the gospel, there is that being Careful about how we divide the word of truth. Yes, and uh, and so we we take something like, uh, yeah, we're saved by grace, which means that we can't earn our salvation. But uh, uh, not earning our salvation doesn't mean uh, that there aren't conditions.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, so if we say uh, God accepts us unconditionally, right. And then we and then we say the condition for saving uh, for for salvation is faith. But if you say it's unconditionally that means faith equals nothing. Right. So we reduce faith to nothing.
1: Exactly. The and Greek, Greek word pistis has it. a commitment to it. Well we're gonna conclude yes. in our final session, we're gonna unpack this and we're gonna get highly applicable how we as Christians can respond to these issues responsibly
0: colorado springs on 100.7 the word Almighty, I hope you'll find
1: me. paul brownback Almighty author God. pastor chaplain prophet i don't know what he hasn't done uh, paul you got your phd from ou is that right or you went there for a time did you
2: nyu no. Yeah, I went to uh, OU. I got a degree, a master's in counseling. It's a, uh, a, in, a in a counseling area.
1: From okay, OU was master's. Okay, Dad got his PhD from OU. In fact, he completed it at UT, and you'll appreciate this, Paul. He uh, it, it's the only PhD uh, literature in the in the Doctoral Carol's that has a maroon cover. Every other one has. Uh, Texas orange. <laughs> he thought he would just go Talk about
0: ahead. standing out, right? <laughs> Talk
1: about standing out. Yeah, he thought, I'll just, I'll just, I, I finished at UT, but I love OU so much, I'll just, I'll just bind it and OU uh, maroon. Anyway, we, we digress. Um, grace. Uh, Paul, my definition of grace is the desire and ability to do God's will. Philippians 2.13 says, for it is God who is at work within you to will and to work his good pleasure uh, we're saved by grace through faith doesn't give us a license to do anything we want it is god giving us the desire and ability to do his will does that does that resonate
2: yeah yeah that does and, and you know if you if you just do a word study on grace it's a broader concept than we we tend to think of it grace is, seems to refer to all of god's goodness to us okay uh, yeah. it's not just talking about salvation, just talking about mm-hmm. forgiveness. It's uh it's a broader term than that. But yeah. But yeah that is that is the case. And uh, Well my point my point
1: is that my point, Paul, is the way we get in is the way we go on. Hey, the way we get in this deal called <laughs> Christianity is the way we go on. It's not you know, you don't get under one set of rules and all of a sudden make a right turn. We got in this deal, Paul. We got in this didn't we? Faith and repentance.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's the problem. You know, too often uh, uh, salvation is pre- presented in a bait-and-switch deal.
3: Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, you just in your heart, and then after the person does that, then you say, well, now you really need to be baptized, you really need to be reading your Bible, you really need to be going to church. So, whoa, 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 you, that's yeah. not what you told me. <laughs>
3: yeah, yeah.
2: And, uh, so anyway, yeah, it confuses new believers when we don't— uh, uh, preach a gospel, it includes a repentance dimension to it.
1: Yeah, Jesus said simply, follow
2: me. Yeah.
1: Follow me. Well, Paul, exactly. what other insights can you give us as individual uh, Christians? What is our response, our responsibility? We talked about our cultural issue. We've talked about how Christ intersected. We didn't talk much, but we see how Jesus intersected his culture. He took a stand and he demanded uh, obedience and followership, and we've seen the state of the Church, in my opinion, uh, generally speaking, in a pretty uh, sorry state. Uh, what What's the answer, Paul? What What would you say we do well,
3: now? Let me just
2: throw out, just for starters, yeah. uh, something that we can do it's Simple to do, uh, and yet I believe it's uh, the significant first step, and that is prayer. But let me, let me uh, uh, embellish on that a little bit. Yes, sir. Uh, I, I believe that one area where the Evangelical Church has really developed a faulty culture, and, and that is in the absence of corporate prayer. Mm hmm. I, I served under a pastor who was so big on prayer. I mean, he talked about prayer all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he tried to get everybody to go to prayer meetings and so forth and so on. But in the Sunday morning service, uh, his directive when I was supposed to do the prayer was, Paul, keep it crisp. And crisp meant uh, three minutes or less. Okay. And, uh, and you know... <laughs> Uh, I, I believe the absence of corporate prayer in mm-hmm. our churches is is a, a cause of a lot of our, our spiritual uh, anemia.
1: That's a good, good insight, and I praise the Lord. I'm a member of a praying church. We had a prayer meeting just a, a, a couple, of three weeks ago, called to prayer. Boy, I, I appreciate that reminder, and of course it begins with us as individuals, starting our day with God and, and seeking His face. Uh, I'm just reminded of Zechariah 4, uh, 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. We can't accomplish in the flesh what God has uh, determined. It has to be done in the Spirit. What else can we do, Paul? Great, great well, suggestion.
2: Well, well let, me, let me get back to that, because, again, I, I specifically am concerned about the corporate prayer idea. Okay. Uh, in 1 Timothy Two, the apostle Paul says, First of all, I exhort you, you know, regarding all supplication and prayer and intercession. He's talking about the the, the worship service. Yeah. And and I believe that when we lowball prayer in the main meeting of the church, mm-hmm. we are sending a message to people. Mm-hmm. And on the positive side, if we would Imagine if we would say, okay, uh, we're going we're to take 20 minutes to pray. We have 20 minutes for music. We have 30 minutes for a sermon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what if we would take 20 minutes to pray, and we would have the elders of the church stand up and, uh, and each give a five-minute prayer and pray about our nation and pray mm-hmm. about uh, our church and whatever I believe that would serve as a model for mm-hmm. our people and and it would really enhance prayer and i I think without corporate prayer that's not going to develop the way it should
1: uh that's that's the key to revival to renewal to reformation of second chronicles seven fourteen that's that's uh worship esque yeah. that's group esque seeking seeking the Lord.
2: And yet, you're hard to find an evangelical church that would give more than five minutes in a in the main worship service yeah, of yeah. the church. That's
1: uh, that's that's convicting, Paul. That's convicting. And I appreciate that insight. Uh, what else of, of an encouraging word can you have for us here?
2: Well, <laughs> well, I believe the answer, uh, in addition to all that, in addition to getting uh, again a recommitment to. Uh, as we talked, repentance and the lordship of Christ and, 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 and so forth, living a, a righteous life. In addition to that, I, I believe that the answer in, in terms of dealing with the culture requires three elements. It requires unity, and that is all of God's people coming together, uh, as, as one. To achieve uh, critical objectives, and then it requires a strategy. Uh, we have to we have to have that that unified church if they would have a strategy. How are we going to achieve this? Mm-hmm. And then it requires leadership. Mm-hmm. And and I believe unless we have unity and a and a strategy and leadership, we're not going to we're not going to achieve anything substantially. And and I might add uh, those same. Three ingredients are missing in, in among conservatives in the secular world. Mm-hmm. We, we find uh, uh, the progressives, the liberals. Boy, they they've got unity, and mm-hmm. uh, any one of their people. We we have somebody in here in Virginia, uh, some woman who put out uh, uh, apparently uh, from the reports I read, uh, uh, pornographic stuff online. She and her husband doing. Pornographic stuff. Uh, if that if that had been a conservative, they would have turned on her in, in uh, a New York minute. And mm-hmm. yet, well, the liberals circle the wagons, and she's she's great. <laughs> yep.
3: So
2: you know they they do they they constantly circle the wagons around the people. They have unity. They have a strategy. Uh, boy, do they ever! They 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 taken over our universities. They've taken yep. over our voting system. They've yep. Uh, taking over our, our, our legal system and whatever—I mean, they—they've got a strategy and and they have leadership.
1: Yeah, let's learn and, learn from them. Good word, good word. I'm well, where sure uh,
2: leadership is, but, but they've got it to...
1: right. One final word, Paul. Briefly, what is it?
2: Well, uh, we need to get back to total commitment to Jesus Christ.
1: Amen, amen. Surrender—a journey of surrender. Paul, thank you for your challenge. Listener, thank you. Let's all take this to heart and journey in our surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as individuals. Lord, help us in Jesus' name. Amen.